Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. All right. All right. What's up, everybody? You can have a seat. Oh, my word. We are here. The Salt Company kickoff. Am I right? Yes. You can uh, thank the rain for nice chairs that you're sitting on. I literally was like, wow, I'm going to have to shave like 29 of my 30 minutes of my sermon if we're going to make everybody sit down in the grass. So here we are. No wet butts. So that's a good thing. But welcome to Salt Company. My name is Stephen Jones. I am the Salt Company director here. We are so thankful that you joined us tonight. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Every single week at Salt Company, we open up God's Word. We want that to be the thing that shapes everything that we do as a ministry and everything that we are as individuals. So if you've got a Bible, that's great. Otherwise, as we open it up, that will be up on the screen for us. So Natalie, and my, Natalie is my wife. We love college. It is one of our favorite seasons of life when we look back on all the things that we got to be a part of. It's super fun, super exciting. There's new relationships, new friendships. We loved the entire college experience. One of the downsides, though, of college, one of the common challenges that people face, especially as you're just getting started, is that often you don't feel like you belong. So often you feel out of place, like, okay, who are my people? What do I need to do? And so you do some pretty stupid things as freshmen, especially to try to impress people, to try to get a sense of belonging. I did that as a freshman very often, very stupid things. One of the stupidest things that I did as a freshman to impress some people, we found out, a group of us, that you could climb the Memorial Union at Iowa State. So I was an Iowa State student, and we found out, hey, there's a way to climb this building. It was awesome. So we waited till about two in the morning. We went to the Memorial Union. We f- climbed up there. We looked. It was awesome. We checked every corner. The views were great. Iowa State is a beautiful campus. It's nothing like you and I. Am I right? Go Cats. That's what I like to hear. Iowa State sucks. I'm done with that school forever. September 4th, the Panthers are coming to Ames and we're rocking their world. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go Cats. One more time. Wow. That's going to be the 2021 thing. Let's go cats. Let's get it started right now. Hey, let's go cats. Wow, wow. So much power with the microphone. Hey, let's go cats. Okay, that time, Jordan, you didn't do it and you're on the football team. Guys, let's all point at Jordan and say, let's go cats. That instructions were very unclear. I realized that. You were not sure if you were supposed to point or meow slash growl. That's on me. That's on me. So we're on the Memorial Union. I look to my left. I realize that not only could you climb up to the roof and see amazing views, but there was a parking garage right next to the Memorial Union that was about five stories or so high. And at the top of this parking garage was up another story, a decorative ledge this ledge that went around the whole thing. There was no roof, just this two-foot ledge that was made out of cement. And so I thought, I know how I'm going to impress this whole group, get them to like me. I'm going to get up on that ledge. So I run over. I jump up onto this ledge. Now I'm like, again, about six stories up in the air, certain death to my right. I could die. And I think the best thing I could do to get these people like me is to run as fast as I can at three in the morning, pitch black, along the perimeter of this two-foot ledge. 
So I start running and I can just hear the people, they were like gasping, they're like, oh my gosh, like what is he doing? And I'm running and running. I'm like, oh, I got this. This is easy. Like it's a two foot ledge, like draw a piece of chalk, two foot. You'll realize it's not hard to stay on two feet. Two feet of space, there we go. So I'm running and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, as I'm running, I trip and I have no idea what it is. And it's like life slows down in that moment as I'm like tripping, I hear screams and hollers and I'm like, oh my word, I'm about to die. And somehow I like catch my like balance, catch myself, I don't fall, I don't die, I'm here, I'm alive. I'm not a ghost or whatever, I'm not a ghoul. That's one of my favorite words for ghost. So I trip and I catch my balance and I have no idea what happened. I have like that rush of adrenaline when you almost die. If you've ever almost died, you know what I'm talking about. You're shaky, you're like, oh, okay. Get down, some people are mad at me. Some people are like, you know, super impressed. They became some of my best friends, so I guess it worked. So try that one out. What had happened was there about two inches of rebar sticking up out of the cement that in the pitch black of the night, I did not see which when you are building a roof, you don't need to trim off the rebar. So that makes sense that the construction workers didn't do that. And I tripped on that and almost died. But I did some stupid stuff to belong. I did some stupid things to try to impress people. And maybe you could relate. Maybe you don't do things that are certain death or risking your life. But all of us in small ways try to do things to earn acceptance. We try to do things to fit in. You might change your shoes, you might change your clothes, you might memorize sports teams roster so you can talk the talk. We all do things in order to try to belong. Some of them are fairly simple, some of them are fairly small, but then there are other things that all of us are willing to do that are actually much more serious where we're actually willing to do things that maybe at one time in our life we never thought we would ever find ourselves doing just to achieve this sense of belonging. So the question I want to ask you tonight is very simple. What are you doing to belong? What are you doing to try to fit in? What is the thing that you are willing to do in order to find a sense of belonging? Every single person in this room has an intense desire to know that they matter. Every single person in this room has an intense desire to know that they belong, and each of us are doing things to try to fulfill that desire within us. Tonight, we're gonna look at the story of a man who did not belong. A man that had a skin disease called leprosy, and because of that, it was very painful, but some of the most painful aspects of this disease were the ways in which it cut him off from people. So we're going to look at this story of this man who did not belong, and we are going to see within it, like I said, a man who was completely alone, physically pain, in physical pain, and completely isolated. So our story is in Luke 5. Luke is one of the individuals who wrote one of the four Gospels, the biographical stories of Jesus' life. So like I said, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, if, that's great. If not, uh, it will be up on the screen. So here's how our story begins, Luke 5, verse 12. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Luke, the big number is the chapter, the little number is the verse, Luke 5, verse 12. Here's how it starts. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. While he was in the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. 
we're introduced to this man who was covered in leprosy. Jesus was traveling around with his disciples, going from town to town, doing ministry. And in one of the towns they show up in, they find this man who has leprosy all over him. Like I said, leprosy was a horrible skin disease. It affected the skin, leaving lesions, red and pale patches. It was disfiguring. Not only that, but it attacks the nervous system. So you began to go numb in your fingertips and it would slowly move upward where, you could lo- where you'd lose your feeling. Often people with leprosy were missing fingers or toes or limbs because they couldn't feel when they injured themselves. It affects the eyes, the nose. It was this slow, disfiguring, painful disease. And one of the things that the story points out is that this man had leprosy all over him. He, just, he didn't just have leprosy, it was all over him. Now, why does that matter? It matters because in the Jewish community, they followed the book of Leviticus as their law. So the book of Leviticus is one of the books in our Bibles. And the Jewish community used that to govern their community. And in Leviticus, you come across skin disease regulations. So what to do when someone has a skin disease? And now depending on the severity of the skin disease, there were different mitigation uh, things that were implemented in order to prevent transmission among the community. But the most severe uh, cases of skin disease had a very strict mitigation system implemented. The strictest measures were taken for people that were covered head to toe, who had leprosy all over them. And so when Luke points out that this man didn't just have leprosy, but he had leprosy all over him, it's tipping us off that this person was experiencing the strictest measures taken as prescribed in the book of Leviticus. They were cast out from the community. They couldn't worship in the temple. In order to prevent infection from spreading, they were completely shunned and extricated. Here's the description that the laws for people that were covered in leprosy that they were supposed to observe. Here's Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. I'll just read it. It says this. The person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Could you imagine that? In order to not infect other people, you had to be completely quarantined for years upon years. Imagine if you had a two-week quarantine that just carried out for years and years. No contact with other people. Not only that, there was the humiliation of having to shout, unclean, everywhere you went, unclean, unclean. He lived outside the camp completely alone. This is the reality of our character. And as Jesus is traveling from town to town, he comes to a town and there's a man with leprosy all over him. And what Luke is telling us is that this character represents the ultimate outcast. When we read leprosy all over, what we should be hearing is this man is the ultimate outcast completely cut off from both the worship of God and the community that he loved. There was a pastor named Max Lucado, and he wrote a fictional backstory to this character to try to help us imagine what his life would have been like, try to imagine what maybe he experienced. So I'm going to read portions of it to help us get a picture of what maybe this guy's experience was like. It starts this way. For five years, no one has bumped into me. No one has accidentally brushed up next to me in a crowd. How could they when I constantly shout unclean? 
For five years, I haven't felt a handshake, a pat on the back. What is common for you is absent for me. For five years, I haven't worshiped in the temple. I'm unclean. I lost my job, live off scraps, wear torn clothes. Before, I was the hometown hero, bright and well-liked, had a great business, a young family, a wife and two kids, both girls, two and three. We laughed and played and took trips when we could. All was good. I loved life. But then that summer, I could tell something wasn't right. It started in my left hand. I couldn't grip the tools I used the way I used to. Couldn't feel my daughter's hair running through my fingers. I tried to hide it from my wife, but there were too many sores for her not to be suspicious. I knew what it was, but couldn't face it. The day finally came. I was washing dishes after supper. I put my hands in the sink, and as I did, the water turned red. I had cut my hand and didn't even notice. As I was looking in the water, trying to figure out what to do, I heard a soft whisper from behind me. It's on your clothes, too. I stood motionless, just staring at my hands. Finally, I turned. My wife had tears running down her face, and my two daughters were at her side. Would you like me to go with you to the priest? She asked. I slowly shook my head no. Bending down, I softly kissed each of my daughters. Standing back up, my wife gently touched my face. That was five years ago. That was the last touch I have felt. The last time I have felt the warmth of another person. The last kiss from a father who is good as dead. The last time I was met with the eyes of compassion instead of the eyes of disgust and fear. I lost my family, I lost my business. I live alone, isolated, and abandoned. I'm humiliated and despised. At times, I'm angry and hateful, and others depressed and in anguish. Perhaps that was that man's experience. This man, the leper, is the ultimate symbol of an outcast. His isolation was suffocating. But what I know is that these feelings of isolation aren't reserved for the leper only. We might, we might not put our rejects and outside, out, outsiders outside of the camp on their own, but we all know who the rejects are. We all know who the people are that we wouldn't be caught dead with. We are incredibly good at identifying those who don't belong. At my school, it was Casey. Casey didn't belong, and it was for one reason and one reason only. He was too quiet. Literally, that, there was nothing wrong with him. There was, he wasn't weird. He just was too quiet. He didn't talk to anyone, and because of that, he didn't belong. And I'll never forget the day when I was walking out of school and saw Casey climbing up in a tree waiting for the bus. And as he was climbing up the tree, a group of guys came and grabbed him, pulled him out of the tree. He was caught by his foot hanging upside down. And these guys, they started punching and kicking him and screaming at him. And Casey, the quiet kid, was crying out help. He was crying. He was sobbing. He didn't belong. 
Who was the Casey at your school? When have you felt like Casey? Were you the kid whose parents had a messy divorce so you didn't belong? The kid who never got drunk so you didn't get belong? Or the kid who partied so much that he got kicked off the team? Don't belong. The kid who was a virgin? Don't belong. The kid that got pregnant? Don't belong. The black kid in a white school? Don't belong. The kid who was too into Jesus? Don't belong. The kid who actually admitted he was an atheist? Don't belong. Maybe you felt this at home. You were abandoned by your dad. Maybe not geographically, but emotionally. The leper in our story is the symbol of the ultimate outcast, completely alone, humiliated, and in pain for years. But then something happened. He heard, he began to hear these murmurs of this man who was traveling from town to town. This man who was a religious leader, but unlike any religious leader he had ever heard of, he was kind and compassionate, and he would go from town to town healing the sick, loving the outcast. And this man wondered, I wonder what he would do if I found him. And then he finally heard that this man that they called Jesus was in their town. In fact, he was teaching on a mount. And so the leper was desperate. He had to get to Jesus. The last five years had been long and isolating and suffocating. He knew he had to get to this man. And he heard that Jesus was teaching. He was up on this mount. He had to get there. And so he went into town crying out, unclean, unclean. And this time as the crowds parted, it didn't seem to bother him as much. Yeah, moms were grabbing their kids, pulling them to the side. But he knew he had to get to Jesus. And finally he saw him. Luke 5, 12. He saw Jesus, fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper found Jesus. There were several conditions that led to this moment of desperation, but hope-filled anticipation. First, it was the isolation, being cut off from the worship of God and losing belonging with God's people in his community. But second, the, the leper acknowledged his uncleanliness. And then lastly, there was acknowledgement that only Jesus was the answer to his problem. All of this led to this desperate but hope-filled moment when he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I asked you earlier, what are you doing to belong? What are you doing to try to fill this sense of belonging within you? I said that there's an intense desire in every single person in this room to know that they are accepted, to know that they are wanted. How are you trying to fulfill that? What I've observed is there's basically two paths that people walk to try to fulfill this need. One is the cultural path. The cultural path is this a willingness to compromise your standards or God's standards in order to belong. The way that I'm going to satisfy this intense desire to belong is by partying. I'm going to get friends, and the way I'm going to get them to like me is being the life of the party, getting drunk, partying, whatever it takes. That's how I'll fit in. That's how I'll belong. 
Most of the students that I've talked to aren't getting drunk because they like the feeling of losing control. They're getting drunk because they can't stand the thought of a Friday night where they have no one text them. They can't stand the thought of a Friday night where you would open up your Snapchats and see all the parties you weren't invited to. So you're willing to get drunk and party and do drugs in order to be accepted. And you're trapped. You know that if you ever stopped, then you might not have anyone text you that weekend. Sex might feel good, but that's not the real reason why you're having it. The real reason is because you're terrified if you told your boyfriend you wanted to stop, he might dump you. The only times that you feel like you matter in this world is when the girls agree to sleep with you. That's the real reason. Maybe you were the kid that felt abandoned by your parents. And what you saw in them was that the sake of trying to belong through career and money, they abandoned you. But now to your whore, the same, the same thing you're beginning to recognize is within you. A willingness to, to completely ruin your life in order to have the best career possible and to make as much money. If I can just make enough money and have an impressive career, then I will know I'll belong. All of these will fail you. All of these paths promise you belonging, but in the end, they overpromise and underdeliver. You work and work to be a great girlfriend, but he still dumps you. You try to be the life of the party, but sooner or later, you're going to feel alone and surrounded by a ton of people, but they're all fake friends. That's the cultural path. You're willing to compromise your standards and God's standards to belong. But the cultural path always overpromises and underdelivers, and in the end, it will cost you your life. But there's another path that I've observed many people walking to try to get belonging. It's another path that's equally as empty, but twice as deceptive. It's the religious path. The religious path is this. It's the complete opposite of the cultural path. Instead of compromise, I'm going to try to live up to my standards and God's standards in order to belong with him and others. Maybe you've got tired of the cultural path you were living and you're like, okay, I'm just going to try to clean up my life. Or maybe you've seen other people on the cultural path and you're like, that only leads to heartache. I'm going to try to do everything I can to live up to my standards and God's standards. Okay, how do you know if you're on the religious path? There's an author named Jerry Bridges, and he gives us several questions to assess whether or not we are on this religious path. Here's what he asks. You know you're on the religious path if you can relate to any of these. First, do you assume that you can do something to make God love you more or less? Do you live with a vague sense of God's disapproval? Do you feel like God should answer your prayer because of your hard work and faithfulness? Can you think of people that you think you're more deserving of God's grace than they are? Do you ever live with a fear that if your church found out who you really are, they'd be disappointed in you? Are you sheepish to go to God after you sin and fail? If I asked you, how are you saved? Would you answer by being a part of a church, by being baptized, by doing enough good things, by helping other people? If you can relate to any of those questions, you are on a religious path. A path where you're attempting to gain belonging with God and others by being a good enough person, 
by meeting his standards. Now, what's wrong with that? You're like, okay, that, what, what's the big deal? What, what's so bad about that? Here's the problem. The problem that is for both the cultural path and the person on the religious path is that they fail to recognize that we are actually all plagued by a disease. A disease that is far worse than the leprosy that this man had. A disease that is far more isolating, far more painful, and far, carries far more consequences than what this man had. We are all plagued with the disease of sin. You were created to have belonging with God. And yet every single one of us has rejected that relationship we were created for. Our relationship with God was severed. Our sin separated us from God. And both paths fail to recognize how serious our sin is. And therefore, neither path can offer us the belonging we desire. The cultural path fails to recognize that sin will kill you. That compromising God's standards is an offense against the God who created you. It is no small thing to sin against God. And the cultural path denies that. It's no big deal. Compromise, you'll get the belonging you desire. On the other hand, the religious path denies not that our sin matters, but the depth of our sin. Our sin isn't that bad. The religious path sees our sin as like a cut on the arm. You just need to put a Band-Aid on it. You just need to heal it. You just need to fix it. But it fails to recognize that sin is actually a cancer that kills us and that you have no ability to rid it from yourself. The religious path then says, clean up your life. You can meet God's standard, but it's a lie. You have a disease that you cannot heal yourself from. It's far worse than being completely covered in leprosy. Neither path can offer you the belonging that you desire. And yet you are on one of those paths. One of those ways you are attempting to find belonging. Which one? What are you doing to find belonging? Here's what happened to the leper. When he went and fell before Jesus, he recognized his isolation, that there was a desire for belonging within him. He acknowledged his uncleanliness before God. And he was convinced that Jesus was the only answer. And so he went. What path are you on? Acknowledge the desire that you have for belonging. Acknowledge the isolation that you are trying to cover up and hide from and get free from. Acknowledge the ways in which the path you are on cannot offer you that belonging. And in that, see Jesus. So the leper went, he fell face down, begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And here's what he experienced. Verse 13. As he fell before Jesus, here is what he experienced as he said that. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Jesus cleansed this man. 
Imagine what this experience would have been like for this guy. Five years, completely alone, falls at the feet of Jesus, this guy that he knew could heal him, and he was healed. He was cleansed. The leper came to Jesus with all of his sickness, with all his brokenness, with all his uncleanliness, and what did he experience? Not just the words, you're be made clean, but the touch of Jesus. The first time he was touched in years. Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out, touched him, and healed him. And immediately the leprosy left him. What happened in that moment? When Jesus healed this guy, he didn't just remove the physical pain of leprosy. But Jesus restored him back to the ability to worship God and to be in relationship with God's people. When his leprosy left, Jesus restored his access to worship God in the temple and restored him, reinstated him back into the community that he lost. Jesus gave this man belonging. He gave him access to the God he was created for. He gave him belonging to the community of God. Jesus cleansed him and the leper found belonging. Now, what is different about the belonging that Jesus offers? What's different about the belonging that Jesus offers compared to the cultural path and the religious path? Well, the answer to that is actually in Jesus' command to the leper in verse 14. All right, so look back at verse 14. Here's what it says. Here's the answer to what Jesus' offer of belonging is different. Here's what he said. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and to offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Okay, in this command, we are going to see what is so different about Jesus' offer. We really see two things within this. So when the leper is cleansed, Leviticus describes two things that had to happen for the leper to be reinstated. First, he had to be examined by a priest. So you see that. Go and show yourself to the priest. And then something had to be offered up as a sacrifice. Offer what Moses commanded. So that's what it boiled down to. If you want to be reinstated after your cleansing, you need to go and show yourself to the priest and offer up a sacrifice. So this is actually in Leviticus 14. So Leviticus 13 was the skin disease chapter. Leviticus 14 is how you are reinstated. I'm actually going to read it, and it's a little weird, but just follow along with me. It gets a little wild. I'm just telling you right now. But here's Leviticus 14. Here's what it says. This is the law concerning the person afflicted with a skin disease on the day of his cleansing. All right, so here's the first. He is to be brought to the priest who will go outside the camp and examine him. Okay, so that's the first thing. The priest will go outside the camp and examine him. Here's the second thing. If the skin disease has disappeared from the afflicted person, the priest will order, here's where it gets weird, that two live clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest will order that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water in a clay pot. He is to take the live bird together with the cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop and dip them all into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. Gets weirder. He will then sprinkle the blood seven times on the one who's to be cleansed from the skin disease. He is to pronounce him clean and release the live bird over the open countryside. Okay, so you're cleansed. What is Jesus telling him to do? He's telling him, go do this. Have the priest examine you. 
And then if he declares you clean, he's going to take two birds. He's going to hold one over a pot of water, kill that bird. Weird. Let that blood spill in. He's going to grab the other bird, grab a piece of wood, grab scarlet, grab hyssop, dip it all in, sprinkle you, and then let the other bird go. What is up with that? What is up with this ancient ritual cleansing? What we see in this process is actually an indication of the same process that it took for us to be cleansed. And within it, we see what the cultural path and the religious path deny. So think about this, the cultural path. What does the cultural path uh, deny? It denies that a priest will examine. It denies that a priest will go outside the camp and examine. What was the examination? It was to see if there was any uncleanliness in the leper still. The cultural path denies that any examination will take place. There's going to be no judgment, no examination. The things that you are doing that are compromising in order to find belonging, God won't care about. Do them anyways. He's not going to judge you. God will love you. He will accept you. There's going to be no examination. Do whatever it takes to find belonging. So the cultural piece denies that an examination will take place. But the religious path actually denies the other one. It says, oh no, there will be an examination. You, God will judge whether or not you have sin in your life. But there's no sacrifice that removes sin. You see, when the bird was released into the air, what it was symbolizing was the uncleanliness of the leper being completely removed and carried off. And the religious path says, oh, you are in sin, but you actually have to start working to earn God's favor to clean up your life. There's no sacrifice that removes your sin. Here's where the gospel is different. The gospel absolutely acknowledges that there will be an examination. That you will stand before God and he will judge you and determine whether or not you are sinful. And the reality is every single one of us has rejected God, which means all of us will stand guilty and condemned before God on that day. The day when the priest goes and examines. But here's what also the gospel says, that when that examination takes place, that though there is judgment and condemnation and guilt, there was also a sacrifice. A sacrifice that removed our guilt and our shame and our sin The gospel doesn't deny the reality of sin in your life, but instead offers you a sacrifice that will remove that sin. And here's what we have in Jesus, a high priest who went outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 12 says that Jesus suffered outside the gate. Jesus came and he examined, but he didn't just examine, he also touched the uncleanliness of this world. And not only that, but he himself became the wrath-removing sacrifice. The sacrifice that would remove your sin and guilt. That would carry it, it off so you don't carry it any longer. Yes, God takes sin very seriously. It is an offense against a holy God to sin. And yet that holy God left the throne room, went outside the gate and suffered so that through his suffering on the cross, you could have the sanctifying work of his blood, the grace that he extends to you, so that your sin and guilt could be carried off, so that you won't have to carry that bird anymore. 
Jesus became the sacrifice himself so that he could offer you a belonging that could never be threatened. Jesus was the ultimate outcast who was cast out from the throne room of heaven, whose relationship with the Father was severed on the cross so that you could be brought in and restored to have access to God, to have access to God's people. Jesus Christ was the the priest that went outside the gate and suffered so that you could have grace. And in so doing, he is offering you a cleansing that restores you back to God and restores you back to his people. What are you doing to find belonging? You see, the beauty of the gospel is not what you are willing to do to get belonging, but instead what Jesus was willing to do for you to give you belonging. A belonging that doesn't rely on what you have done, but relies on what he did on your behalf. When he went outside the gate to suffer, to go to a cross and die in your place. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the great high priest we have in Christ. A priest who became himself the sacrifice for our sins. So that you could have a restored relationship with God. What are you doing to find belonging? All the other paths in this world will only offer you a belonging that is an empty promise. Only in Christ can you find the belonging that you truly desire. And only in Christ is that belonging secured for you, not by what you have done, but what, by, by what he has done for you. Let's pray. Jesus, that is the reality. That though we were created for a relationship with God, we all have rejected that relationship. We all have denied the relationship that we were created to have with God the creator. And that leads to brokenness, to guilt, to isolation. This this sense of belonging that we desire, that we were created to find in you, we look to fulfill that in other things. God, thank you for this story, this story and this cleansing that points us to the greater story of healing. The story of healing where it wasn't what we did, but what Christ did for us to heal us from a disease that wouldn't just affect us here on earth, but would affect us for all eternity. God, thank you that in the gospel, we see that no one is too contaminated to have a relationship with you. And no one is so clean that they don't need the grace that Jesus is offering. God, help us to recognize the ways in which we are willing to compromise in order to find belonging. The ways in which we are willing to sin to try to be accepted. And to take that seriously, to not ignore the fact that it separates us from you as an offense against you. But God, in the midst of that, let us see also the grace that you are extending. That Jesus went outside the gate to the leper and didn't make him clean up his life before he touched him. No, he touched him in all of his filth and all of his uncleanliness and all of his messiness. Jesus touched him. Yes, Jesus acknowledged his uncleanliness, but Jesus also said, I am willing. Be made clean. And the only way Jesus, our great high priest, could offer that is if he himself 
took our sickness upon himself on the cross, if he himself bore our iniquity, bore our sickness, if he was despised and rejected, if on the cross Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus was abandoned, only then could we have the belonging that we so long for in Christ. God, let that gospel belonging fill us with humility, fill us with joy, fill us with delight. Let it transform us into people that also go outside the camp and share with others. There is a belonging that you can have that can never be threatened. In all these ways you are looking to fulfill it, they'll leave you empty. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace that we have in him. Thank you for the restoration into relationship that he provided for us back to you, the God who we were created for. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.